0: Hello, it's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of August 19th, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Back in the 1950s, I enjoyed a book called Mr. Bear Squash You All Flat. It was about a bear who liked to go through the neighborhood squashing other people's houses flat. He got his comeuppance when he tried to squash flat a tire to give away the ending of the book. For some reason, I thought of Mr. Bear recently when Google's name came up. Now, don't get me wrong. Google does a lot of really neat stuff. I respect most of what Google does, For example, this weekend I needed a map of Amish country. And I wanted the map to go from one city to a town to another town to another town. Well, in the past, I would have had to create several individual maps. But I noticed that Google Maps has a new feature. Now you can set waypoints. Hey, this is nice. That's what I like about Google. The company continuously strives to make its products better. But then there's the other side of Google. I mean, this is the company with the motto, Don't be evil. And it really isn't evil, but sometimes the extreme focus on creating more income than 90% of the world's nations combined seems to be pushing it to be less than entirely ethical here's what i'm talking about scott dunn who wrote in the windows secrets newsletter reports that rogue anti-spyware that promotes itself deceptively is allowed to advertise on the major search engines and of those he named google yahoo and live.com by microsoft dunn provided a chart with nine bogus anti-spyware applications Of those, all nine advertise on Google. All nine also advertise on Yahoo, but I would expect that from Yahoo. Four of the nine are on Microsoft's Live. You've probably encountered some of these. You're offered a free scan, and of course the free scan finds something, and then it offers to remove it, but only after you've paid Well, that's only half the story. Some of these fake anti-spyware applications actually install the kind of crap that they claim to remove. Yet Google and the other big search engines allow them to advertise. Dunn cites Spyware Warrior, which is an anti-spyware research group, that says the applications generate false positives to trick users into buying a remedy. Snake oil? Yeah, snake oil. Take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com, and there you'll see the chart, and you'll also see a link directly to Spyware Warrior's website. There you can read the full report. I have written previously about Google's propensity to just look the other way when presented with an opportunity to make money. It is sad to see what at one time seemed to be an extraordinarily ethical company, Prostitute itself. For example, Google Ads. A lot of websites carry Google Ads. I came across an ad panel with ads by Google. What's in the list? Well, we have Boost Windows XP. Boost the startup speed, free download, 100% guaranteed. Might be legitimate. We have PC Backup Software. It's from a company I've never heard of, but could be legitimate. Another one for Windows Backup Software. Uh, Another company I've never heard of. We have the free Windows XP upgrade. Get a free Windows Vista 2007. Offer expires today. Ooh, how to check that out. It's from everyfreesoftware.com. Now, if that name doesn't scare you away, it should. But I decided to click, and let's see what I can get. Here's the ad. Microsoft Windows Vista Ultimate, full version, easier, faster access to information. Vista Ultimate features Windows Aero, a new interface, and so on and so forth. And it says I have been chosen to receive a free... There's a little asterisk out there at the end of free... Gift, And the asterisk refers to, in very small gray type, on top of a gray area, with completion of program requirements. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that if something is free, it's free. It doesn't require completion of program requirements. Well, the next page appeared to contain a link to those program requirements, but the link actually turned out to just be colored text. It really didn't take me anywhere when I clicked it. But I did find a link further down on the page, at the bottom, way down at the bottom, a link to the program requirements. Page after page after page of obfuscation. What's on the next page? Well, here's what they really want. They're asking for my zip code, my name, my birthday, the address, and the phone number. Because they need that, because that's where they're going to send my free copy of Microsoft Windows Vista Ultimate full version. Sure they are. Well, I filled that out. Not with my information, of course, but I did fill it out. And I went to the next screen. The next screen said, you're almost done. Take a few moments to respond to our special survey below. You must keep going to qualify for your gift. Well, the survey consisted of one question. Would you like to learn how you can make a difference in the Army? Yes or no? Well, I'm a little too old to join the Army. So I selected no. And then I saw another page that looked just like it. For another product. I said no. And then another. More than 20. I lost count. But eventually, after I said no to each and every one of them, I got another final page. This page had probably fifty offers on it, most of which I'd already seen. Now, I had said no to the army. I had said no to a free, $500 Walmart gift card I had said no to the free 42 inch plasma TV I had said no to military.com I had said no to a car loan I had said no to the college debt solutions I had said no to Scholars Avenue I had said no to find a degree and so on and so on and so on now this final page interestingly had most of my selections recorded as yes I'm beginning to think I'm voting at a Diebold voting machine is something like this legal? Yeah, it probably is. Is it ethical? Hardly. One more page. The next page and the last one before I hit a dead end that was going to start costing me some money. This page offered me more bonus gifts. A $500 free Best Buy card. An Apple iPhone, $600 value for free. Don't worry about rising prices. Free gas for a year, up to $1,200. I don't think that would take me a whole year. Uh, I could get a MacBook Pro for free. $500 gift card to JCPenney. Designer accessories, a Gucci handbag. Hey, that would be cool. I could carry around a Gucci handbag. Do I want to be a secret shopper? Shop free and keep what you buy. Well, the list went on and on and on. If your early alert fraud system is now flashing brightly, you're not alone. Mine certainly was. Now what I wonder is that how can so many very smart people be so dumb? And the smart people, I don't mean you and me. I mean Google. Google hires only superstars. It has no interest in having standard-issue intelligent people on board. And I think one problem that may occur when everybody at the company is genius level or higher, there may be a growing corporate culture that believes Google is so smart that it can get away with fooling, manipulating, and hoodwinking the slugs, that means the rest of us, who use their services. If so, they are right. It is possible to do exactly that but not forever. Trust is one of those things that's difficult to establish, it's harder to maintain, and once lost, it's virtually impossible to get back. Google has acquired or built some astonishingly great products. But management seems to have gone off the rails recently in pursuing ever-increasing profits. That's great for shareholders. Not so good for the rest of us. Please, Google... Please, get back on track. Here's something I thought I'd do perhaps every week or maybe every other week or until somebody tells me to stop it because it's too stupid to continue. I'm going to call it the stupid spam of the week. I used to be really annoyed by spam, but I've got enough spam filters in the way now that I don't really have to look at spam anymore. So they're really no longer annoying. I can look through them when I feel like it, And it turns out that I do feel like looking through them, eh, usually once during the week sometime, just to see what's there, to marvel at the stupidity, not only of the people who might fall for the spam, but at the stupidity of the designer of the spam. So this week, a phishing spam. Seven clear giveaways that this thing is a fake. This is a Bank of America alert, online access suspension message wants to verify my current details. Well, the instant I saw it, I knew it was fake. First of all, there was the from address. It said it was an unprivileged user. If the sender really works for the Bank of America and is sending out messages to users about possible account violations, the message is not going to come from unprivileged user. The actual name in the email address was nobody wrong the domain Kuwaitdomain.com. okay kuwait may own our souls but it doesn't own the bank of america at least not yet then there was the title of the message bank of america alert online access suspension message and following the word message is a registered trademark symbol Okay, Bank of America certainly is a registered trademark. Message is not. Now banks are sticklers for details. They wouldn't misplace the registered trademark symbol. Next there's the date fourteen oh eight two thousand seven. No, it's not somebody who's stupid enough to think that there are fourteen months in the year. That's a European format, used in Europe, used in the Middle East. The U.S. format would be 8-14-2007. It came to me as 14-8-2007, so there's obviously a problem there. The message begins, Dear Valued Customer, with a space and then a colon. Well, in U.S. English, there is no space before the colon. But the larger problem here is that it addresses me as Dear Valued Customer. The bank would address its customer by name next clue number seven is nonsense english either your information has been changed or incomplete then there was a comma which actually ended up being a comma splice and more nonsense english either your information has been changed or is incomplete might have worked but either your information has changed or incomplete makes no sense banks i may have mentioned are sticklers for details then there's bonus giveaway number one the subject line says bank of america with a capital o the graphic stolen from the real bank of america says bank of america with a lowercase o i may have mentioned this but banks are sticklers for detail bonus giveaway number two the message was sent to an address that i would never consider providing to a bank Oh, and bonus giveaway number three. So this is the tenth reason that this was obviously a phony from the very start. I don't have any Bank of America accounts. So the bottom line here is that nobody with an IQ above 80 who's paying any amount of attention should have any problem identifying this within five seconds as a fraud. Come on, spammers, you can do better than that. In a perfect world, we would have no problems with the products and services we buy. Or, if we do have a problem, we would report it, and it would be fixed immediately. End of story. Well, this isn't an ideal world, and it seems to be getting worse. I have mentioned from time to time my experiences with Wide Open West. This is not a complaint about Wide Open West service. In fact, it's a pat on the back for Wide Open West. Long overdue, but a pat on the back nonetheless. By way of background, I have been paying for 4000 kilobits per second download speed for several years, getting no more than 1000 kilobits per second on a regular basis, and often a lot less. Previously, WoW had sent technicians to examine the installation at my home. They blamed the problem on the router. They said they had connected their notebook computer directly to the cable modem and got the full speed that they expected. Previously, WoW technicians had blamed the problem on my firewall. Well, at that point, I had done enough testing to know that the problem wasn't my router. But the technicians connected a laptop computer to the cable modem, rebooted it, saw the speed they expected to see, pronounced the problem to be with the customer's system, and left. I already knew that rebooting the modem would create a momentary appearance of normal speed, but the WoW technicians didn't bother to stick around long enough to watch as the speed dropped. So in mid-July, when younger daughter Katie started complaining about slow connectivity, I knew there had to be a problem. I started tracking the speed, and what I found is that the only time I could attain that 4,000 kilobits per second was immediately after rebooting the cable modem, and that the speed lasted for only a few minutes. That didn't absolutely rule out the router, but it did at least point toward the cable modem. In mid-July, I sent official complaints to WoW's corporate offices and also to the Columbus office. A week later, I'd heard nothing. I repeated the message with a somewhat more shrill tone. Again, in an ideal world, neither of the messages would have been necessary. Certainly the second one wouldn't have been. But following the second message, I heard from people both at the corporate and local offices. They sounded sincere. They sounded like they really wanted to solve the problem this time. So, I continued monitoring the situation, and on July 21st, I decided to spend several hours testing the cable modem by connecting the desktop system to it directly, without a router being in the middle. For a long time, I have said the problem was not my LAN. And I was fairly certain that that was the case. But there was still that back-of-the-mind suspicion that maybe it really wasn't Wide Open West. Maybe it was the router. Well, I needed to know the truth, And I was willing to apologize to Wide Open West if I found that I'd been wrong. So, starting at 3.37 p.m. on Saturday, July 21st, I connected the computer to the cable modem, rebooted the modem, rebooted the computer. My immediate speed was 4,309 kilobits per second. Ooh, I thought maybe I might have to apologize, because that did kind of make it look like it might be the router. That actually parallels the test that WOW's technicians performed at least a couple of years ago, but they stopped too soon. If you reboot the system, including the cable modem, you get 4,000 kilobits per second or better. But wait a few minutes, and you see a remarkable change. Speed tests that I ran started at 4,726 kilobits per second. Direct connection. But 90 minutes later... That very same direct connection, no router involved, had dropped to 998 kilobits per second, less than a quarter of what I'm paying for. And about 40 minutes after that, it was all the way down to 34 kilobits per second. Standard dial-up modems are faster than that. Well, I sent a lot of screen captures to Wide Open West, and they agreed, yes, it does look like there's a problem. I then sent two technicians who spent four hours in the neighborhood. The two technicians found three problems all upstream from me, each of them minor, but each would have affected my service. When those problems were corrected, I suddenly started seeing one kilobit per second regularly, about 25% of what I was paying for. At least the speed generally stopped falling to modem speed. The following week, Wide Open West replaced the drop, that's the cable that runs from the pole to my house, but there was no additional improvement. I was still stuck at about 1,000 kilobits per second, occasionally 1,500, on a rare day 2,000. So their next step was to send a technician to examine the system in my house. The technician who tested the system said he couldn't get above 2 megabits per second, either through the router or with his notebook computer connected directly to the cable modem. He said he called the network operations system to check the modem. They updated it, still got the same results. He then replaced the modem, and was able to acquire 4 megabits per second. He also replaced the cable from the drop, that's the point where it enters the house, to the cable modem. Now since 2003, I have been trying to communicate to Wide Open West That the problem I saw was not imaginary, that it was not my computer, that it was not my firewall, that it was not my router. And until July 2007, nobody at Wide Open West, including top management, appeared to take the problem seriously. What's different? I have no idea. It may be that my complaints and undoubtedly complaints of others finally convinced WoW's top management to do something about what seemed to be one of the worst tech centers on the planet. It used to be when I called the support center, as I did a number of times to report problems, I would be told there was no problem, and when I asked to speak to the Level 1 technician's supervisor, I was frequently put on infinite hold. Well, last month, when I called WoW's support, I encountered a technician who honestly seemed to be trying to understand the problem, And everyone I've dealt with this time around has seemed sincerely to be interested in resolving it. The fact is, I've been trying since 2003. So a special thanks to WOW's local support supervisor, Stuart Sumter, to WOW technician, Sean Smith, who spent a lot of time in the neighborhood and in my house, to WOW's ombudsman, Bill Wright, and to other WOW personnel who believed I was telling the truth and were willing to investigate. I have suggested to Wide Open West that they may owe me some compensation for 42 months during which I paid for service I did not receive. So far, that suggestion has been met with total silence. In nerdly news, Nokia says it has no reports of serious injuries or property damage, but still has offered to replace some 46 million batteries in its mobile phones. Think about that number. It's a big number. 46 million. If every battery costs Nokia just a dollar, and you can be sure the cost of replacing a battery is a lot more than a dollar apiece, that's a direct bottom-line hit of $46 million. Now, the problems affect only BL5C batteries made by Matsushita between December 2005 and November 2006. Fortunately for Nokia, 250 million other batteries are not affected, Nokia says it has received about 100 reports of overheating, and in very rare cases, the batteries could potentially experience overheating initiated by a short circuit while charging, causing the battery to dislodge. There's a slippery word, dislodge. A bullet is dislodged from a gun when the trigger is pulled. Gentle prodding will dislodge a seed that is stuck between your teeth. Now, when this battery dislodges, does it dislodge more like a bullet or more like a seed? Nokia didn't say. You'll find information on the Nokia website regarding how to identify the battery in your phone. Nokia says it is working closely with relevant local authorities to investigate the situation. And if you want to visit the Nokia website, you can either go there directly if you know the URL, or you can visit techbiter.com and you'll get a link directly to the battery recall page. Now, this recall isn't mandatory. In fact, Nokia downplays the urgency. They say, while the occurrence in the BL5C batteries produced by Matsushita in the time period specified is very rare, for consumers wishing to do so, Nokia and Matsushita offer to replace for free any BL5C battery subject to this product advisory. Ten years. That's how long it's been since chess master Garry Kasparov lost to Deep Blue. The common perception is that man was beaten by machine, although that clearly isn't the case. It's true that Deep Blue, the machine, won the game. But Deep Blue didn't make itself. Deep Blue was a computer that was simply running a program developed by humans. So a gang of humans who wrote a chess-playing program defeated chess master Gary Kasparov. Doesn't sound quite so radical when I put it that way, does it? An article in the MIT Technology Review notes that machines play chess in a way different from the way humans play chess. They can't be bored or embarrassed or anxious about losing the respect of other players, all of which are concerns for human players. The machines can't be sidetracked into thinking about something else during the game. They can't be bluffed or intimidated. It's an interesting read. There's a link to the technology review article on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Now here's a bummer. After all those years of fighting with Wide Open West over what I claimed was substandard service and they said it was working as intended, the cable company finally admitted the problem and fixed it just in time for bandwidth problems to start affecting my service. The demand for bandwidth is huge and it is growing. ABI Research says high-definition video, video-on-demand, online gaming, and high-bandwidth Internet applications are combining to create problems for the industry and those who are connected via cable modems. It's not a crisis yet, but it is something that nobody in the industry seems to want to talk about, according to ABI Research. Cable providers, it seems, need about 750 megahertz of spectrum right now most of that about 675 megahertz is all for the downlink analog cable digital cable video on demand high definition video voice over ip and internet service the upstream side takes about 54 megahertz abi says there will be a growth on the upstream side and that additional sources of high definition video are going to have a big effect on the downstream side what does this mean well, the cable industry has spent more than $100 billion on infrastructure over the past decade and is now faced with having to spend a lot more. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of August 19, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website www.techbiter.com and send an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.